The Tale of Two Cities. This is number seven, the last of this series, and it is entitled God's Law Vindicated. First, let us bow our heads in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, in this study, we are confronted with a most profound truth that just before Jesus returns to this earth, the living saints will experience the mental sufferings of Christ, which he suffered in his closing days while on this earth. And to such an extent that we have never dreamed of. So please, God, send us thy Holy Spirit during this study in such a mighty way that we shall be able to comprehend what will be required of each of us to be numbered with the 144,000. For we ask this petition in the name of Christ. Amen. Now before I begin, I have a personal testimony that I wish to share with you. As I have been studying for this presentation, I have become aware of the presence of the Holy Spirit to such an extent that I have been able to envision a depth of understanding of the law of God as I have never before experienced. So that I too feel like expressing the words of David, Oh, how I love thy law. It is my meditation all the day. And may this study bring such an experience into your life also. I would like to further state that this is one of the deeper subjects that I have ever presented. And so I would suggest that as you have the time, you listen to it three or four times so that you may comprehend the message that is involved. Now, as we begin, we do so with a question. When Christ's work in the heavenly sanctuary is finished and probation is closed for the righteous, is the work of the living saints on earth also finished? The answer may surprise you, for it is a definite no. The saints, although probation has closed, have before them the most challenging, the most vindictive demonstration to perform for their God that has ever been entrusted to man in 6,000 years. I'm afraid that many of us assume that the time of Jacob's trouble is a time in which the wicked will be so perplexed because of the plagues that they are being punished with, that somehow we have thought that the saints must endure their wrath during this period. But much, much more is involved. Inspiration has revealed 
that the experience of Jacob's trouble is as necessary, very necessary, for the righteous. Christ cannot remove his saints from this earth before he pours out the seven last plagues upon the wicked. And because his will for the saints is not yet fulfilled. Now I can hear somebody say, Brother Nelson, you better explain that a little bit more. And I'll try to do so. You see, the saints are to become a spectacle to men and the angels and to all the beings of the entire universe. As the scripture says, to principalities and powers in high places. Although Christ's intercession has ended in behalf of the saints, God foresees that in this hour of trial, in the conflict between good and evil, that his love is to be vindicated and the true character of Satan will be unquestionably revealed. It is God's purpose for his saints not only to vindicate God's government, but his love must be revealed in the accuracy of the plan of salvation. You know, it's almost inconceivable to comprehend how Satan will try to retain the righteous under his power during the last moments of time on this earth. Here is a word picture so vivid that it actually boggles the imagination. I am reading from Prophets and Kings, page 588 and on. Satan has an accurate knowledge of the sins that he has tempted God's people to commit and he urges his accusations against them, declaring that by their sins they have forfeited divine protection, and claiming that he has the right to destroy them. Now, now listen to this carefully. And claiming that he has the right to destroy them, he pronounces them just as deserving as himself of exclusion from the favor of God. Now notice what he says to God. Are these, he says, the people who are to take my place in heaven and the place of the angels who united with me? They profess to obey the law of God. But have they kept its precepts? Have they not been lovers of self more than lovers of God? Have they not placed their own interests above his services? Have they not loved the things of this world? Look at their sins that have marked their lives. Behold their selfishness, their malice, their hatred of one another. Will God banish me and my angels from his presence and yet reward those who have been guilty of the same sins? 
Thou canst not do this, O Lord, in justice. Justice demands that sentence be pronounced against them, unquote. What an accusation spoken against you and me to God above. You see, God has, Satan has always challenged the justice of God and in the accuracy of Christ's method of imputing his righteousness. But praise the Lord. The fact is that Christ can cover the repentant sinner with his own life and then present him as possessing his own perfect life before the Father. Praise God. This is our only hope of salvation. Now listen carefully as to what God says. Review and Herald, November 8, 1892. God would have us <clears throat> comprehend something of his love in giving his son to die, that he might counteract evil, remove the defiling stains of sin from the workmanship of God and reinstate the lost, elevating and ennobling the soul to its original purity through Christ's imputed righteousness. I like that. That's good. The great mass of professed Christians do not realize that salvation can be obtained only through the blood of Christ, through his imputed righteousness. For this alone will avail fallen man what he should be and exalt him to become a member of the royal family." Unquote. Now, let me try to place that in my words which I have just read, the only way in which man can be restored to the original purity of Adam before he sinned and be accepted back into the family of God is by the impartation of the imputed righteousness of Christ. But let me tell you something. Satan, oh, how he hates this truth. You see, Christ proved that a man could keep the law of love for he himself became a man and never sinned. But Satan somehow still deceives the universe to believe that you and I, when we get to heaven, will sin again. So how can the universe be sure about the future? Well, God has foreseen this doubt, which Satan has stated before the universe. So God has arranged for a demonstration that will vindicate his plan of love so conclusively that it will silence Satan's claims forever. And it will prove to the universe that God's plan of salvation is sure. But how 
Can God do this? Well, the scripture tells us that God will have 144,000 who, after they are sealed, will never choose to go back into sin, even during the hardest of trials and temptations that have ever been brought to bear against mankind. And the universe will observe this and see the integrity of the saints even while Satan wages his most hateful war against them. You see, as for Satan, this is his final life or death struggle. It is his last chance to vindicate himself, knowing that his future is at stake. Unless he can win now, God will be vindicated and Satan will be destroyed. But if Satan can induce man, who now bears the seal of God after probation is closed, and get such an individual to sin, ah, then he would triumph. So Satan's last efforts will be desperate. He will expend all of his energies to war against the saints who are now sealed and without spot and blameless before God. It is now at this time that Satan uses his adulterous wicked city Babylon to come against Jerusalem with a fury as that of an enraged lion. He will employ all of his strength to conquer Jerusalem. How will he do it? He will threaten, he will accuse, and he will persecute God's loyal citizens, employing all the horrors and the accumulated torturous devices of the ages. In the past, Satan has accused God of favoring his people by not allowing Satan free access to them. You remember the experience of Job? The Lord turned Job over to Satan that he might make a demonstration out of him. And what did Satan do? He swept away his property. He took the life of his children. He tortured Job with severe bodily afflictions. And then, to make matters worse, Job began to wonder why such trials came upon him and why his prayers seemed not to be answered. But there was no other way that God could achieve the needed demonstration. In fact, Job was a type of the living saints, the 144 living saints in earth's last hour. Job's experience is recorded for the study and the encouragement of the remnant church. So, God will allow Satan to tempt and persecute the saints as he did with Job. The only restriction will be the same. 
he will, Satan will not be permitted to take their lives. And be sure that Satan and his Babylonian kingdom will surely try the saints to the absolute utmost. He will assail each saint as he did with Christ when our Lord was on this earth. We are told in Desire of Ages <clears throat> 257 that Satan sum sum summoned all his forces and at every step contested the work of Christ. So, notice that word, so it will be in the great final conflict of the controversy between righteousness and sin. Unquote. Just as Satan waged a fierce personal combat between himself and Christ, so now the conflict will be between Satan and each individual of the remnant in whom Christ's character will be revealed. The same purity that Satan hated in Christ will enrage Satan as he sees this purity within the 144,000 and he will persecute God's saints in a mighty way. It is during this time that the seven last plagues are poured out and Babylon will blame the saints for their disaster. It is now that the Battle of Armageddon takes shape in which the Babylonian device devises a plan to completely wipe out the inhabitants of Jerusalem. A date will be set to accomplish this. The plan will be to annihilate those whom Satan declares are causing these judgments of God. In volume 1, 353, a decree will go forth that they must disregard the Sabbath of the fourth commandment and honor the first day or lose their lives. But they will not yield and trample under their feet the Sabbath of the Lord and honor an institution of the papacy. Satan's hosts and wicked men will surround them and exalt over them because there will seem to be no way of escape for them. But praise God, the saints will maintain their purity of God's character, revealing that men and women connected to divinity, still having the power of choice, will prove faithful. Not one of the saints will choose to go back to sin. Praise God. This will be Christ's demonstration to the universe that his work of final atonement has fully imparted God's character to his saints. God's remedy for sin will prove that God's way is right. Let us not forget that if the salvation of man were the only issue at stake, 
Jesus could have died in Eden and redeemed and purchased back Adam and Eve immediately after they had sinned. The redemption, therefore, could have been accomplished 6,000 years ago. But no question must remain in the universe as to these thoughts. Can God's commandments really be kept? A law that actually measures the thoughts and the intents of the heart? A law that judges the motives as well as the acts? You see, there must be no question in the minds of any created being within God's universe when it is revealed that not one saint will yield even by a thought, choosing rather to die than disobey God and sin. The saints will have vindicated God's plan of salvation and his justice in saving lost sinners who have proved faithful. All will be satisfied that God is just and good. God will choose individuals in this last generation to demonstrate. Why? Because they are the weakest of the weak. They have a heredity of some 6,000 years of sin. They will make God's vindication the most conclusive. If any excuse for weakness could be given, God will prove that man can overcome even as Christ overcame and proved that the law can be kept under the most trying circumstances. The saints will show that what God did through Christ, Christ can now do through anyone who will work together with him. Even the vilest sinner will have been so changed by the power of God that he can become companions of heavenly beings. In Bible Commentary 7, 229, the chain that has been let down from the throne of God is long enough to reach to the lowest depths. I like that. That tells me something. I continue. Christ is able to lift the most sinful out of the pit of degradation and to place them where they will be acknowledged as the children of God, heirs with Christ, to an immortal inheritance." Unquote. Yes, the universe will be convinced that the righteousness of Christ has worked for the 144,000. Therefore, it will work throughout the years of eternity for all the saints who are saved. Thus we read in Bible Commentary 6, 1080, we are made spectacles unto the world 
and to angels and to men. And again in Desire of Ages 764, the plan of redemption having been completed, the character of God is revealed to all created intelligencies. And then these words, the precepts of his law are seen to be perfect and immutable, unquote. Now there's another blessing that will come to these living saints who are carrying on in the time of Jacob's trouble. I'm reading from the book Our High Calling, page 321. The time of trouble is the crucible that is to bring out Christ-like characters. Now that's some statement. Why is this? This dreadful time will develop further the character of the saints. Although the righteous will reflect the image of Jesus at the time of their sealing, their characters will be further improved as they suffer through these persecutions after probation closes. Now let me help you to understand this. One must be realize that the development of character is ever an ongoing and a progressive work. Character building does not stop when we overcome sin. The development of perfection of character will continue in heaven throughout all eternity. Speaking of this, the Lord's Messenger writes in Great Controversy 677, Every faculty will be developed, every capacity increased, unquote. We are told that the redeemed will reflect the image of Jesus more and more perfectly as the ages roll into eternity. You see, there is a difference between undeveloped character and a sinful character. For instance, Adam was created with an immature character. He had to develop his character. Before he sinned, he was not sinful. Character is never supplied by God. God gives only the means to develop a character for good. In volume 4, page 606, the mental and moral powers which God has given us do not constitute character. They are talents which are to be improved and which if properly improved, will form a right character. God has given us our faculties to cultivate and develop. Our own course determines our character." Unquote. And then she adds in that book that I may know him, page 141, these words, and actions 
form character, unquote. Christ is not even, character is not even supplied at our new birth. Only the moral power and the spiritual direction are supplied to enable the development of a good character. <clears throat> Among the redeemed in heaven, some will develop their characters more fully than others. For instance, take the thief on the cross. He did not live long enough to develop a good character, yet he is entitled to heaven just as St. Paul was. After the final atonement has been made, all will be morally fitted for heaven, though not all will have achieved the same character development. The imparted righteousness is given in the sanctification process. But whatever an individual lacks, they will continue to develop where they left off in heaven to come. The 144,000 are to pass through such an experience that will enable them to develop a more mature Christ-like character than any other person that has ever lived on this earth. Great Controversy 621. God's love for his children during the period of their severest trials is as strong and tender in the days of their sunniest prosperity. But it is needful for them to be placed in the furnace of fire their earthliness must be consumed that the image of Christ may be perfectly reflected, unquote. Now please note, earthliness does not mean sinfulness. It means their dependence upon this earth must be consumed before they are ready to meet Jesus in the sky. They must be weaned from every tendency to depend on anything earthly. They will learn to live wholly by faith. Great Controversy 631. As they endeavor to wait trustingly for the Lord to work, they are led to exercise faith, hope, and patience." Unquote. The 144,000 will be plunged into the deepest of distress in order for them to have a special honored place next to Christ. It will be necessary for them to drink from the same cup of sufferings of which Christ suffered. For when the Father's presence was hidden from his Son, Jesus feared his human nature would be unable to endure. He feared that the load of our sins imputed to him would forever separate him from his Father. Listen, I'm reading Desire of Ages 753. 
Satan, with his fierce temptations, wrung the heart of Jesus. Let me pause there. Do we know what that word wrung really means? Today, with our washing machines and their ringers and the like, we somehow forget that it was not too many years ago when mother would take a towel after she had washed it and she would twist it and twist it till she had wrung out every drop of water possible before she hung it out. What does it say? Satan with his fierce temptations wrung the heart of Jesus. The Savior could not see through the portals of the tomb. Hope did not present to him his coming forth from the grave a conqueror or tell him of the Father's acceptance of his sacrifice. He feared that sin was so offensive to God that their separation was to be eternal. Can you comprehend the mighty struggle that Christ went through? Now, in a similar manner, during this time of Jacob's trouble, the saints will have no assurance, they will have no knowledge of the presence of God that will give them comfort that they are saved. When Christ leaves the heavenly sanctuary, his assuring presence in both the early and the latter reign will be withdrawn. The saints will be faced with the death sentence and they will feel they are apparently left alone without the knowledge that their sacrifice is acceptable to God. Satan will tempt them to believe that their sins have been so offensive to God that they will be forever separated from him. This is the same experience that Jesus Christ had when he carried your sins and my sins. Great Controversy 619. The saints are fully conscious of their weakness and unworthiness. Satan endeavors to terrify them with the thought that their cases are hopeless, that the stain of their defilement will never be washed away. He hopes so to destroy their faith that they will yield to his temptations and turn from their allegiance to God. If they could have the assurance of pardon, they would not shrink from torture or death. Unquote. You see, the 144,000 will continue to plead as did Christ. They will rest their destiny upon their Heavenly Father by naked faith. Will the saints actually be forsaken? Of course they will not. Did the Father forsake his Son at the cross? Of course he did not. In Desire of Ages 754, God and his holy angels were beside the cross. The Father was with his Son, yet his presence was not revealed. 
In that dreadful hour, Christ was not to be comforted with the Father's presence. And neither will the saints be forsaken. The angels of God will guard them, but they too will not be comforted by this knowledge. Notice what I'm reading here from early writings, 272, speaking of this terrible time of trouble. Soon after they had commenced their earnest cry, the angels in sympathy desired to go to their deliverance. But a tall, commanding angel suffered them not. He said, The will of God is not yet fulfilled. They must drink of the cup. They must be baptized with the baptism. Unquote. Thus, the sealed saints will be perfected. The 144,000 will have experienced the trials and sufferings of Christ more closely than any other people who have ever lived on this earth. This is why they will share more fully in Christ's glory throughout eternity. In the Mount of Blessings, page 46, if, notice that word, if we are called to go through the fiery furnace for his sake, Jesus will be by your side ever as he was with the faithful three in Babylon. Those who love their Redeemer will rejoice at every opportunity of sharing with him humiliation and reproach. The love they bear, their Lord, makes suffering for his sake sweet. You remember what Jesus said in Matthew 5.10? Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, now the question, and think it through. Would you aspire to sing the song of Moses and the Lamb with the 144,000? Then consider this. I am reading from Review and Herald, November 25, 1884. I have read of a little bird that while his cage is full of light, never sings the song his master would teach him. He will listen and learn a snatch of this and a trill of that, but never a separate and in an entire melody. But the master covers his cage, and then, in the dark, he listens to the one song he is to sing. He tries and tries again to sing that song until it is learned, and he breaks forth in perfect melody. Then, the cage is uncovered, and ever after, he can sing it in the light. Thus, God deals with his creatures.
He has a song to teach us. And when we have learned it amid the deep shadows of affliction, we can sing it ever afterward. The great truth to be found in this study is this, that we must share in the sufferings of Christ if we are to share in his glory. And this is what the Bible tries to teach us. For you read in 1 Peter 4, 12, 13, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice, inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. And then you read over in Romans eight seventeen and 18, And if children, then heirs, and heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If so be that we suffer with him, that we may also glorify, be glorified together. For I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. This is why Jeremiah the prophet said, chapter 30, verse 7, Alas! For the day is great, so that none is like it. It is even the time of Jacob's trouble. But he shall be saved out of it. Let us pray. Dear God, we have caught a brief glimpse in this study of the coming temptations they will try our souls to the very utmost. Please, God, help us now, today, to so keep thy law that we will be obedient ever to its precepts. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. May I add that for those of you who would like to dig still further into these seven studies in a deeper way, which I have called the Tale of Two Cities, would you please inquire of Leola Rosenball for her book entitled The Remedy. This is a book of 120 pages and has far more material than I was able to cover in these seven presentations. I highly recommend it. In fact, I even urge you to obtain a personal copy. There is nothing like it in print today. If you have enjoyed these studies, you will praise God when you have the full copy in your hands for prayerful study. Please write to Rosenball Publications, P. 
P.O. Box 330, Hope, Idaho, zip code 83836. Now in conclusion, let us meditate with Sonny Lou as he sings that most beautiful song, The Holy City. May it help us to make a personal commitment by the grace of God to someday live in the new Jerusalem with our blessed Lord.
Yeah. 